Well, hey, welcome to the Christ Community Shawnee podcast. My name is Joseph. I'm here with Tim, the campus pastor. Hey. There it is. <laughs> Classic. Uh, we're really excited. This is episode five on our series of how to read our Bible. And we have a very special guest with us today. We have our children's director, Katie Holland. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really, really glad to have you here. Tim, I want to ask you, what what is your favorite part about working with Katie? Hmm. <laughs> now I, I feel like you want me to give a joke answer. I don't know. I, I, I just thought that was a good good place to start. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't have to be a joke. It could be. I would say Katie is one of the most encouraging people that there is, and in, like an anticipator of needs in a really gifted way. So that's <laughs> that's my favorite. And then my second favorite would be the fact that she gets to work with us. <laughs> well, that's a huge. I thought benefit. it was going to be that I introduced you to oat milk. Oh, that's pretty big. Oat milk that's, creamer. That's big, but <laughs> the fact that you get to work with me, work Joseph, with is much bigger than oat milk. <laughs> I would, yeah, maybe you. I don't, I don't know about me, but we are, we are, and that is so true too. Because Katie, I think, serves our staff and our church really well. So we thought it'd be special to have her on for that purpose because she has a lot to offer. Not only this conversation, but this whole church on the topic of how to read our Bible. And something that's special about Katie, as we were talking about this episode, is that she spent a lot of time in Isaiah and has some questions. But before uh, we dive into the specific book of Isaiah, I just want to ask you, Katie, uh, about what you're doing right now in your scripture time. We talked a little bit about this before, um, but just go ahead and share a little bit about what you're studying right now. Yeah, I am currently reading through the book of Luke and taking it kind of slow. I've learned with myself that as I read, I have to kind of um, search for something to kind of keep me engaged in what I'm reading. And um, as I've been reading Luke, I have noticed just the phrase, the kingdom of God repeated Mm -hmm. multiple times. And so as I've been reading, I started taking note of that within the first few, the first time it's said in Luke 4, I think, and then continues. And, And there's one chapter... Um, in particular, where it's mentioned uh, quite a bit. And that was, I think, the chapter that kind of got me thinking about it. So just trying to read and notice themes, words that are repeated a lot, and pay attention to what's said before and after, um, like the kingdom of God. What what are they talking about when they're mentioning that? So that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I, I wanted to bring that up because I feel like what you're doing is exactly... Uh, what we're trying to get at with this Bible reading course, which in part is asking good questions of the text and then and s- seeing what you you find out and what yeah. you're what you're looking at is the theme of the kingdom of God. So what what have you been kind of discovering throughout the Gospel of Luke with that with that theme? Yeah, I was writing out <laughs> the other day because I was like, I have to see this like in writing and kind of make connections with it. But just the first time it's used, which I was wrong. I was talking about this with you earlier today, and I I missed a verse. I was looking back at it. And so the first time is when when Jesus is saying he came to preach this to others, that he was sent for this purpose, Mm. to preach the kingdom of God. And then the next two times he talks about it, he says that phrase, it's in reference to the poor and the least of these. I just thought that was interesting to kind of start there. And then it it just kind of continues. And I'm not, I haven't spent a ton of time. I've just have done the work of writing it out, but just how it, it goes on to talk about the disciples. And then 
giving power to the disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God to others. And then talking about healing and it just kind of continues. And then it, it ends with the fulfillment of supper will be in the kingdom of God. And I just mm-hmm. thought the progression of how it's brought up and used was unique and, and still have, have work to do. And even in the reading that you sent us last week, it gave a definition of the kingdom of God God's people and God's place under God's rule and blessing. So even thinking about the kingdom of God under that definition, as I've read more since reading that book. No, I love that because it it just was fun to talk because you were doing exactly, I think, what we're trying to model and teach in the class and even, even just levels of context, right? You're starting with you know, what does is, what is the gospel of Luke contribute to the idea of the kingdom of God? And so you, you, you find that out or you study that and then you start asking the bigger question, okay, well, how does this, how does this idea from Luke connect to the kingdom uh, throughout all of scripture? Yeah. And so I, I was hoping that'd be beneficial for the listeners just because mm-hmm. that's, that's exactly what we're trying to get at. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. But particularly, this episode is following our time talking about the prophets and Tim here is our is our resident scholar on the book of Isaiah. <laughs> and Katie just recently had spent time reading the book of Isaiah and had some questions. And so we thought that it would be useful and good to actually dive a little bit deeper in the specific book of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I think that's really important is because Isaiah is the most quoted book in the New Testament. So the New Testament is constantly referring back to the book of Isaiah. It's, it's a, the backbone of the theology of the New Testament. So getting a better grasp of this specific prophetic book will pay lots of dividends for reading the New Testament. I would open this question up to both Tim and Katie uh, and, and just ask, how has the book of Isaiah been impactful for each of you in, in your own lives? Do you want me to go first? <laughs> go. Um, well, the first thing I think of when I think about it being impactful, I mean, it has always been for me a harder book to read through, start to finish, not just kind of like skim through and, and look for something that applies to what I'm going through, I guess, is how I used to read through Isaiah. But when I was pregnant with Hadley, I had a lot of anxiety and it was first pregnancy. And I think I'm just, I tend to be a more anxious person. And I had a mentor I was meeting with and she was sharing something about her own life and just brought up Isaiah 26, three and four about keeping him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. And I think it was the first time where I was like, "Mm, I think I want to look into Isaiah a little bit more. Um, And so that was the first verse I memorized from Isaiah was Isaiah 26. In reading it this summer, I was really surprised by the ways God met me as I read. And the verse that kind of stood out to me this summer was Isaiah 30, 18 through 21. I think waiting has kind of been a theme more in my life Mm. recently. And so when there's talk of waiting, waiting on the Lord, or I just kind of key into what is going on. And so it just starts off, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And even just thinking about how he's waiting to be kind to me, be gracious to me. um, It just was really good for me and my soul this summer as I was reading through it. So I feel like our answers to this question are going to show how different we are as people. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, man, I'm going to, 
I hope this is okay. Everybody listen to this. Just keep, you know, keep your seatbelt on. We're all, it's okay. So when I was in college was the invasion to Iraq. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the idea being we have to invade any country that might possibly threaten us. And that seemed like, well, we're going to be invading a lot of countries. <laughs> um, that may not be the best idea uh, to pursue. But, but I think the question around war and violence and having friends who were going to go, like, who were in the military, because I was, I it was a sophomore in college when the invasion to Iraq happened. So anyway, paralleling that was me diving more deeply into Isaiah and the story, which actually started the Bible class on, I think it was the second week in Hezekiah and Isaiah 37 through 39. Obviously we're not, we're not a theocracy, so it's different, but God really, God's pressing of Hezekiah to trust his safety in the midst of a looming military threat in Assyria. And in the context of 9-11, where the world seemed much, much more dangerous, um, obviously Iraq and the possibilities of them having WMD, the world felt very dangerous. And in that hmm. context, God's saying to Hezekiah, trust me for your, your own safety. Don't create a plan for yourself, but trust me. That was just really compelling. And then that, that started me deeper into the book. But it was that story alongside the war in Iraq, which again, good Christians can disagree on, um, y'all listening to this. But, uh, but that's just really, that was a major <laughs> kind of moment for me. I just think back to even Mary Kay's, and as, as we continue to, to share stories, right, Scripture is, is most impactful for us when it's speaking directly into our lives, into our situations. God wants to speak into our situations through, yeah. through His Word, through these books that in lots of ways are very different than our lives, but the Lord brings about the parallels. And to help us see those parallels, obviously we need to ask some difficult questions and kind of help move through the different complexities of the book. And so just kind of want to open it up to you, Katie, to maybe ask a few questions in this time of what would have been helpful to you when you were reading Isaiah this past summer? And, and if you're going to read it again, you know, what yeah. what would be helpful? So we can just kind of start with a broad Yeah, Yeah, it's kind like of how that. I framed my questions, kind of starting more broad and then narrowing down. So I think my first one is just in general with maybe not even just Isaiah, but the prophets is like, why are they so hard to read? And what's the best way to read and understand what is being said? Because like I've said, there's parts of it that I get, but then there's parts that are just like, I don't know where, like what they're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So most people, when they think prophets, they think predicting the future. And that's not what the vast majority of prophecy, almost all prophecy in the Old Testament is. Prophecy is God speaking directly to a a current situation. It's it's the thus saith the Lord. Like this is the the Lord's pronouncement on this moment. So going back to the story I mentioned a second ago, Hezekiah is surrounded by the Assyrian army, and the question is, does he? What does he do? Like, does he go get a military help from Egypt? Does he attack Assyria? What does he do? And the word from the Lord is, this is what you do. You do nothing. Hmm. I'm going to take care of it. So that, that's more what prophecy is, and I think that's really important because then a lot of why we don't understand prophecy is because it's addressing a moment that we don't know what it is. Hmm. And we can have like bits and pieces, but we don't ultimately know the specific moments that are being addressed. And so that, mm-hmm. that's a challenge. However, through good, you know, reading a book multiple times, reading like Second Kings, uh, certainly alongside Isaiah, yeah. you get some help. Mm-hmm. Or a good like study Bible, good um, right. reading uh, prophets who are contemporaries. So knowing, for example, like the prophet Jeremiah is dealing with the exile to Babylon. Well, Daniel lived in Babylon. So you, if you 
if you read Daniel and you read Jeremiah, they actually inform each other. And mm-hmm. actually, Daniel quotes uh, Jeremiah and, and has a prayer out of a Jeremiah prophecy. So the first reason why it's so confusing is it's so specific to its own time. And, it, and unless we do the really hard work to know what that time is, it's really hard to understand. The second reason why I think they're really difficult to read is because they're very confrontational hmm. and very like the sins they name are not sins we want named. And so we try to... Uh, we try to avoid what it actually means, um, and yeah. rather than just letting the prophets be prophets, which often are speaking to issues of wealth, of treating people who are from, you know, foreigners, immigrants in the land, how people are worshiping God. Hmm. Um, it's often trained at the most religious people in society, the prophets are, the religious leaders, hmm. and that's just, that's tough for people probably in our milieu, which is... We believe the Bible, we take the Bible seriously, we're conservative religiously. Oftentimes, those prophecies are directed at people who are much like us, especially people like me, who mm-hmm. are religi- is a religious leader. And that's just hard to actually want to hear <laughs> rebuke. Mm-hmm. And the prophets have a lot of it. So that would yeah. be my two quick answers yeah. to that question. It makes me think, I don't, this is kind of different, but like, how how are they treated in their day? So if they're if they're calling out things that are are hard, like, were they, I guess I don't really know a ton of what people thought of them in that current time people, they were saying. People did not like them in yeah. the current time. I think okay. Isaiah, correct me if I'm wrong, was the, the legend is that he was sawn in two. He was sawed I don't, in half. I don't know the legend. <laughs> oh, Isaiah. I thought he was the one who preached naked. Was that, <laughs> was that not <laughs> No, I'm, uh, not, I'm not, took a turn. Was, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not cracking a joke. So I think, someone I, did that. I think it was, that was Elijah, wasn't it? It, it may have been. Someone was preaching naked. So I, I think the legend is Isaiah was killed, um, but don't quote me on that. I don't uh, know. I'm pulling deep within the recesses. Like, I know Jeremiah, a lot of his narrative is him being abused by the religious leaders. Ezekiel, similar similar things. There's, there's strong resistance to listening to what the prophets say. Well, and Jesus picks up on that theme yep. in the New Testament, yeah. saying, you killed... I mean, the, the sermon on uh, Luke 20 that I gave is Jesus talking about have a vineyard and how he sent, you know, the owner of the vineyard, a.k.a. God, sent prophet after prophet and then sent his son, and they sent away or killed all the prophets. I mean, that's... They, well, I, they were rejected. Because, I, feel, I feel like that will come out in Isaiah, too. Like it it kind of connects dots for me of, like, his language. He's... People don't like him, so he's wrestling through that. Well, when you think of Isaiah's calling, so Isaiah 6, right? God calls Isaiah. He, you know, there's the throne room scene. His mouth is cleansed. And then God says to him, this is what you're going to do. And he says, uh, you're going to render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts. So basically, God says, your, your mission is to go preach so that no one will hear you. So it's clearly set up like Isaiah. Any sense of the word successful, um, you will not be. You will not be a successful prophet to the people of your time. Well, I was just gonna say. I think that it kind of even just the background info on Isaiah that's needed before reading, like knowledge of of who he is and the time right. that he's saying these things. I feel like is helpful. And I think too, like I normally do not punt to uh, study Bibles. I'm, I'm, I'm like, just read the Bible and you can figure it out. <laughs> but in terms of the prophets, 
Um, you know, one of the reasons why we started with talking about the story of Scripture is that you need to know the story of Scripture, like who who were the kings? Was Israel separated into two? Was the prophet preaching to northern Israel, southern Israel? You know, that, that his, historical situation on top of knowing the covenants, right? Because really what the prophets are doing is just turning back to Deuteronomy and saying, look, the Lord said, if you do these things, if you worship these idols and treat the weak among you this way, then you will be sent into exile. That's about to happen, so turn and repent. You know, they're just pointing back to these things. But having a study Bible was just really helpful for them to point out, this is the prophet that he, w- he was speaking at this time in Israel's history. And when you can know that, things become way more clear. Hmm. Locating it in the story, I think, is the key way. I think that's essential. The most prophets, or at least the, the major prophets, name the kings that they're addressing. So that, I mean, that's one key way to understand Isaiah is the kings he's talking yes. to. So it starts early on, it's Ahaz. It moves uh, to, uh, he actually gets the call in the year King Uzziah died. So that, that locates temporally, that's Isaiah 6. Then we move to Hezekiah towards the end of, of Isaiah's chapters. And then we move, you know, later, later part of Isaiah, post-exile, after Jerusalem has been overthrown by Babylon. That's a lot of what gets signaled, even with Hezekiah's failure as a king. So what kings are being addressed? Hmm. And then you can you can go to 2 Kings and read about those kings. Yeah. A good study yeah. Bible can save you those steps. But yeah. um, but Isaiah, what's, that is, he is probably named elsewhere in the Old Testament, probably was a wealthy member of the, the aristocracy, maybe, maybe a son of a priest, important. And so his call becomes actually a part of a, a very fallen religious establishment. And he walks into the temple and God's actually there and he's surprised. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a little bit of a, a hint of, and even the fact that his call comes at the, at the end of five chapters of rebuke against sin, that's different than like Jeremiah. It's the first chapter mm-hmm. in Jeremiah. He's, we get his call right away. We don't with Isaiah. First, you gotta, we gotta walk through the sins of Israel then Isaiah is there in Isaiah six. He meets the Lord in the temple, names himself as as a man of unclean lips who live among a people of unclean lips. And then, as Joseph mentioned, as God gives him his call, his call ultimately is to keep preaching so that no one will listen to him. <laughs> so you get a sense of like, oh, this is let me be a depressing book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we move on? Uh, to the, a, another question that you have regarding the book of Isaiah, Katie. Yeah, well, I feel like my next question was, what's the best way to read the book? Which I feel like you've kind of answered is is thinking about who, like what, what kings he's talking of and, and going there, like reading those together. Like, do you recommend like, oh, I'm going to read. I think maybe the next question maybe is now, how would you do that necessarily? When I, and I think to piggyback, like, Tim, why don't you share kind of the structure of the book? Because that 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 dubs tells with that with that answer. Yeah, so loosely, I, like I said, Isaiah one through five, sort of prologue um, to Isaiah, and that sets the tone for a lot of the book. Namely, that it's going to be Israel's in a very bad place, but there's an invitation to grace in the midst of that. But the sin named in Isaiah one through five is very very real. Then Isaiah six, you get his call and the expectation for the rest of the book. So if you read Isaiah six right which is he's going to preach and no one's going to listen. Now that's giving you a clue into how to read the rest of the book, which is Isaiah is going to be, it's going to have a hard time prophetically. So then uh, Isaiah 6 through 36, I mean, there's a lot in there, but like largely those are oracles to Ahaz in that time. What's, what's an oracle? 
So a a prophecy in, in Isaiah in particular will speak to other nations. It's one thing that's unique about the Hebrew prophets is they don't just address their own people, they address other nations, which actually talked about this in the sermon last Sunday, uh, which is in this podcast feed you can go listen to. But Isaiah 56, when Jesus quotes, my house to be a house of prayer for all peoples, um, a key theme for Isaiah is the nations. So he has, he has pro- basically an oracle would be, you know, a, a poem-like saying that's addressed to a particular people. Off, most of the time it's Israel, but other times it's outside of Israel. So a lot, you get a lot of that in Isaiah 7 through 36. Then Isaiah 37 through 39 is kind of interesting. Actually, it's Isaiah 36 through 39. You get a little bit of narrative, like, mm-hmm. thrown in there. And the reason why, that's going to set up the rest of the book, because what happens, which I already mentioned, Isaiah gets delivered from Sennacherib in a miraculous way. However, at the end of that narrative, Hezekiah welcomes Babylonian envoys into Jerusalem and shows them all his wealth, which why that's important is he's forming an, a military alliance with Babylon, which is the thing God had just told him not to do. He had just delivered Hezekiah from Assyria without a military alliance. Then Hezekiah goes and forms another military alliance. And this sets up for the fact this signals exile is going to come because Israel and its kings do not trust the Lord. And so then Isaiah 40 through 66, the last half of the book, has been called the Book of Comfort, which is addressed actually a couple hundred years, and this is where there's a lot of debate in Isaiah mm-hmm. scholarship. My take is it's addressed to a future community of Israel who has been exiled because of Hezekiah's sin, because that signaled the sin that was coming from um, Israel. And it's addressed to people now who are in exile and whom, whom God is going to regather and bring salvation to. So that that's like a really brief structure of the book, which is is helpful then to read it. But to go back to your original question, so to how to read the book itself. So one, having structure is really important. Two, what you mentioned, like knowing the kings, the parallel text in the Old Testament. But thirdly, like the, the New Testament quotes Isaiah a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I would, like I'd have, you know, a, a list of those quotations. So when you come to Isaiah 7, for example, and you get the sign of Ahaz, the virgin shall conceive and give birth. Parallel that to Matthew, because yeah. it's really interesting. That is not a prophecy about a yeah. virgin giving birth to the Messiah. <laughs> hmm. That's how sure Matthew not. took it. But that's one of the most interesting. Uh, oh, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, like Matthew, that's what he read it, and that's how we need to read it. But the original context was very different, um, and so that that come that you know, there's a lot there to press into, to study, to learn, to grow, to grow in. So have, you know, yes, read Isaiah in Old Testament uh, context, know the structure of the book, and then thirdly, the New Testament, as, as Joseph mentioned, quotes it so much. Be familiar with those, and then when you get to those quotes, go to the New Testament. How is the New Testament author using Isaiah? I'm curious, Katie. I'm having you be a representative of people at our church. Do you know, like Tim brought up exile. Do you mm-hmm. know what that refers to when, because that's something I've, I've said, and I'm realizing this moment as you're, as you're talking, I'm not sure how common knowledge exile is and why that's such a big deal. Is, do, you, do you feel like you have a good grasp on, on exile? Probably not, to the extent that you're maybe hoping I do. Yeah. <laughs> Would you be able to explain that briefly, Tim? Well, this even goes back to why your last story of scripture is so important. So Deuteronomy 30, we talked about this. Like, essentially, the book of Deuteronomy is, this is how are you to be my people. And if you're not my people, you're going to go into exile, right? So it's blessing, curse. It's if you're faithful right. to me, you'll live in the land and, be, and prosper. If you're not faithful to me, you're going to go into exile. Is going to be a part of the punishment. So exile and the land become huge themes through the whole of the Bible. So when 
God's people in Israel ultimately sin, the consequence becomes exile. So mm-hmm. this kind of happens in two ways. One is there's a split. So you have King David, then you have Solomon, and you have Solomon who had who had sons, and the kingdom splits at that point into Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, which is the southern kingdom. So that's one one element of exile will be the northern kingdom just gets wiped out by Assyria. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what Isaiah is wrestling with, is watching the northern tribes get get wiped out. Mm-hmm. And that happens at 728 BC. So there's there's two two times the Israel's overtaken. First the northern kingdom, 728 BC by Assyria, and yep. then a second time Judah in five eighty six BC by the Babylonians. Yep. So Isaiah, if if you know, Isaiah 6, in the year King Uzziah died, that's when he gets his call. So that's 740 B.C. So Assyria is this looming threat <laughs> that wipes out the northern kingdoms, but now it's turning its attention to the southern kingdom. But because Hezekiah trusts the Lord, they don't they don't go in exile. That They're, they're saved from that. <laughs> However, and this is what makes Isaiah 36 through 39, those chapters, so important, because Hezekiah welcomes the Babylonian envoys in, when God had told them not, this is sort of like a last straw moment with God. And this this solidifies the reality that the punishments talked about in Deuteronomy, they're going to happen. Hmm. And Israel is going to go into exile. And so then Joseph mentioned 586 BC. That doesn't happen in Isaiah's lifetime. Isaiah dies probably, you know, 660, 670, somewhere in there. He lives a very long life. It's clear based mm-hmm. on the kings he was a prophet to. But uh, the southern kingdoms go into exile to Babylon. So that's the story of Daniel. Um, That's the story uh, Jeremiah prophesies in that time. Um, And then, but God promises, he'll bring them back from exile, which he does, and and reconstitute them back in the land, which he does. Those stories become Ezra and Nehemiah, those those stories. But to go back to Joseph's original question, why, why his story of Scripture lecture was so important is if you don't have that like category of blessing and curse in Deuteronomy and exile, mm-hmm. it's hard to understand Isaiah. It's hard to understand Jeremiah. It's hard to track these major moments that happen in the story of Israel, not simply as just like the political machinations of the day, but actually like the Lord was at work through Assyria, through Babylon. And that's actually a part of it. Isaiah is going to say, Assyria is going to be a hammer that goes way too far, and mm-hmm. God's going to punish them for it. And mm-hmm. we see that happen in, in the book of Isaiah. So that's a long-winded answer to exile, but there's a lot happening around that theme. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is going to get too meta right now. So now we're really getting into the structure of the Bible here. But what, what the Bible constantly does is it repictures the future through the past, through mm-hmm. what has happened. Now, a term that's consistently used for that is a term called typology. You can just let that slip out of your mind. It's not a huge deal that you know it. <laughs> but all that all that matters is that even the prophets take Old Testament moments and repurpose them, and then the New Testament authors do the same thing. So when Isaiah talks about, for example, uh, their return from exile, he uses the language uh, of, of the return from Egypt. Hmm. So when Israel was enslaved in Egypt and they come out of Egypt into the promised land, well, Jesus and, and, and the Gospels pick up on this theme of exile in the sense that it's almost like Israel never returned. It's, they're still in exile. And at the transfiguration in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, Jesus is recorded um, saying that the time of his exodus has come. 
Mm-hmm. Is that is that the Gospel of Luke? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the yeah. time of his exodus. So it's tracing this theme of exile through Isaiah and into the the first you know books of the Bible in Exodus, tracing this theme of the people have been away from God, away from the place that they're supposed to be, <laughs> and now finally the one who is going to usher in uh, the kingdom, bring them back into their land is here, Jesus. And so identifying these themes, that's why I was wanted you to talk about Luke, the themes that you're looking at. is It's all about tracing themes yeah. throughout Scripture and how every author, every moment in history is progressing these themes. So may, maybe kind of wrapping up here, is there something, Katie, that would be like a final question or thought to press into uh, with the book of Isaiah before, or, or you could, it could even be about the prophets in general before we wrap up. So I feel like even other questions I've had, we've answered as we've talked, um, which is great. But, you know, going to, like I was talking about in Isaiah 30, verse 18, I guess it starts a new kind of, it's titled, The Lord Will Be Gracious. But as I was thinking about that verse and I read past it, I kind of get lost after the parts that stand out to me. And so what's the like what do you do when you're reading and you're like, oh, that really, I really get that, but I have no idea what just happened after that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, so you're how, looking at Isaiah 30, 18. Yeah. No. Yeah. Or before that. I mean, 30, do not go down to Egypt. Oh, rebellious see, people. There yeah, we go, the there Egypt we, language. There it is. <laughs> see, I'm not making these things up. <laughs> yeah. Even in this, for example... 19, for a people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. I mean, that's like beautiful. Right. Unpack the the Zion part. Like what's... So this was something I was going to mention earlier, but I didn't want to for the sake of time, but it's now become relevant. <laughs> when Tim was talking about oracles, uh, I think something that's helpful to know is that prophetic books aren't like a story where it's totally linear. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a start and then a, a clear progression of steps. A lot of times the oracles will happen in cycles. It will be a pronouncement of judgment and then a statement of hope that, that God will restore Israel. Um, some sort of pronouncement of, of blessing or God's restoration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Isaiah 30 in particular... The the entirety of that chapter is God telling Israel, do not form a military alliance with Egypt as a means by which to find your security and safety. So that like that, Hmm. that context is important. And so when he says, don't go down to Egypt, actually like literally that's, Hey, King of Israel, do not go to Egypt as your means for, for finding safety. The reason is the Lord will be gracious. He wants to exalt himself to show mercy to you. And then this happens in mm-hmm. a few chapters in the book of Isaiah, so that, that's important. Um, but what I so one is just okay. So I'm Isaiah thirty nineteen. What's this section? Right? Is it is it all of Isaiah thirty? Is it? That's one question that's helpful. But but also what I what I would say too, because one thing I don't want people to feel like if as they're listening to this is oh man I have, I have to know so many things to understand right, Isaiah. Right. What what a part of the Bible class as well that the conviction I have is it's okay to read verse eighteen. And I think this happens when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament sometimes. A verse is is read and the Lord speaks 
through that. Mm-hmm. And as long as it doesn't contradict mm-hmm. what Scripture is saying, it's okay to say, oh, verse 19, this is what the Lord is saying to me through this. That's okay. So while over time we want to help people get the tools to say, oh, like military alliance is a big theme in Isaiah. Isaiah 30 is about don't form that with Egypt. That's going to happen five chapters later. It's like some of those tools are really great to have. It's also okay to sit there, you know, pregnant with Hadley and say, the Lord will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry, right? For that to be a word for your anxiety, that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's important for us, even as we want to give people the tools to say, the Lord speaks through his word, which is why we want to read it. And at times it may be, I have no idea what I just read, or at times a verse may really grab us. And it's okay if you don't understand the military concepts of what Egypt was doing in <laughs> 700 AD. Like, it's okay if you don't understand yeah. that. The Lord can, will still speak through it. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm really grateful for this time. Uh, it's been fun, some good jokes, and some really helpful things from Tim and, and you, Katie. So really appreciate you joining us on this podcast. Uh, stay tuned for more podcasts to come. Again, this is Joseph, Tim, and Katie. We'll see you next time.